Welcome to Democracy in Action, a show from the League of Women Voters of Broward County, where we bring you the stories of everyday people who are making democracy work. This week on Democracy in Action, I speak with Ruby Green. She's a government attorney, a lover of ego waffles, and is the chair of the Juvenile Justice Committee. In this interview, we discuss what it was like growing up in Pompano Beach, what it means to vote for the right reasons, and she explains to us what democracy in action means to her. Please welcome Ruby Green. Thanks for being on the podcast, Ruby. Thank you. Thank you. It's nice to meet you as well, hon. So what was your first political action or memory of being political as an American? Um, I would say when I was in college, I did a lot of political things. Like there were some incidents that were occurring where boys were dying in boot camps. So we decided Mm. to march in respect for, you know, the deaths that had taken place at those boot camps and to also get rid of boot camp because we didn't feel as if they were the appropriate means for rehabilitation of kids. So Mm -hmm. that was the the first thing that I can say that I did as far as political wise. And many people may not see that as political, but when you think about marching, I'm thinking about March to Washington and stuff like that. So, you know, that's definitely for me, the first political thing that I can remember. And I ain't gonna tell you when that was, it was way back when. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, no worries. We can uh, keep it on the ropes. Uh, (laughs) Could you tell me a little bit more about what exactly is the boot camp? What was that? So boot camp is a place where they were sending children uh, when, if they were bad, instead of sending them to prison, they would most likely send them to a a program called boot camp. And it was kind of like military and kids were dying. They would get beat up. So it wasn't like, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, we would send them to a, a jail and then they would just sit in a room and stuff like that. No, they were out being physical with these kids. And for children to be put in that position it was it was a very heavy thing to take especially seeing that they were coming out dying and so that was something that at least at Florida State that's the school that I went to we felt that there was a need especially our black student union we felt the need to march against that that was pretty interesting I'd never heard of that so I gotta look more into that kind of stuff yeah there was a several boot camp facilities that had to be shut down here in Florida. And they don't have it anymore, right? I think that there is like the other types of programs because I'm, I'm not technically in juvenile. I think there are other like juvenile detention centers. I, I've gone to juvenile detention centers, so they use those more heavily handed. I'm sure, not sure. aware of them actually utilizing the boot camp program. I know that we do have a boot camp program in prison. So if a defendant, let's say, committed a crime before the age of 21, and they are sentenced to a prison sentence. And normally, if they are a youthful offender, and they get a youthful offender sentence, which which means that they are sentenced to six years or less, then they can get into a program called boot camp. Now, boot camp, you're normally sentenced to like two years. And then um, with the boot camp program, it's normally only 120 days that they're actually in the program. The remainder of that time they can spend it on what they call community release. Oh, when you when you spoke about that, it reminded me of, there's this TV show called Scared Straight. Is it kind of like that? Yep, definitely like uh, that. All right, so Nakia, you're up next. When did you first register to vote? I was in high school when I first registered to vote. It had to be my senior year of high school. And uh-huh. I remember just being in history class. And at that time, it was the Al Gore versus Bush 
thing going on where they were like, oh, the, there was miscalculation of votes and all this stuff going on. So people thought Gore had mm-hmm. won and then he didn't win. He had actually lost the Bush. It was this whole big old thing. And I remember that. So at that point in time, I had registered to vote because that was the type of class I took. We were learning about politics and I actually was going to mm-hmm. go to school and, and major in political science. I didn't mm-hmm. actually do that. And I'll tell y'all that story later. <laughs> I didn't actually major in political science when I actually went to college. But um, it, that that class was so, it, it, it was a really good class because I had not been into politics. I had not known anyone in my family who had been involved in politics you know nobody who had marched with the reverend dr martin luther king like everybody want to say they got everybody got a reverend that done marched with them um i didn't have that so i i literally did not know until i could sit that class and i i remember getting so heated in the moment and finding out the results and and then they were backtracking and i was and then they were calling us flory duh and it was just so much that was going on and i was like what and so that was the feeling. And I remember, you know, my senior year of high school, that's when I registered to vote. I didn't actually vote in the next election that occurred after that. And I'm going to tell you why. I, I, I honestly didn't believe in the system at that point. After that whole experience, and mm-hmm. I kind of felt helpless. I know a lot of people who felt helpless. Mm-hmm. I didn't actually vote until Obama ran. That's interesting. So tell us about where you grew up. So I grew up in Pompano Beach in a little area called Kaya City. And, you know, if, if you don't know, it's, it's definitely the hood. There are three jails surrounding that city. And oh. we, we definitely believe that it was there in place for a reason. You know, it, it just wasn't the best place to grow up as a kid. You know, I have 15 brothers and sisters and I was the only one. I'm the third youngest the only one to graduate and go to college, even after my younger sisters. I'm hoping I have one little sister that's actually adopted, but we've raised her since she was six weeks old and now she's 16. And so I'm hoping that she'll be able to, you know, just go ahead and follow in my footsteps. But, you know, it it wasn't a good situation. And I can tell you that the school that I went to, I had some really good teachers who were willing to help me because they did see that I did have a future, even when I didn't see that I had a future. I was thinking about working at McDonald's for the rest of my life. That was my dream. My dream, I I, I could tell you guys, it, and it's crazy that I'm thinking about this right now, that I'm saying this right now. And, you know, it, to a lot of people, it may seem like, oh, okay, it's not so bad. And it wasn't bad, you know, working at McDonald's is not a bad thing. I'm, you know, I don't want to put anyone down who has to do that, you know. To me, it was really the goal that I had. I said, I want to work at McDonald's. I want to become a manager. And then that's how I'm going to get everything else that I need. I need to be able to get a car by, you know, being a manager. I need to be able to get an apartment, you know, by being a manager and stuff like that. I wasn't even thinking about college. I didn't think that I was going to be able to go to college. I made good grades. I made great grades. Um, I was in like the top 10% of my class. I just had not known anyone who had done it. And I had a guidance counselor that literally came to me and was just like, oh, you need to go to college. And I was just like, no, (laughs) no, I'm not. Because the people that I was looking at that was all going to college, they didn't come from where I came from. And I, I wish I could just like paint these pictures in these in words. But I went, I lived in a Starburst area in order to go to school. So the Starburst area allowed us to basically choose the school that we wanted to go to. 
And, mm-hmm. you know, my friends across the street, they did not live in a Starburst area. So they were assigned to Ely. They had to go to Ely. Mm-hmm. And what we thought of Ely was like, oh, you know, we really don't want to go there because we know that everybody's fighting because who has the best shoes, who has the best clothes or whatever. So that's what we thought it was. It was more like a, a fashion show type place. And that's what everybody has come back and said. And so I was just like, okay, I really don't want to go there because I'm, I grew up on food stamps my whole life. I didn't have shoes, you know, the best clothes and stuff like that. So I didn't want to have to get in fights every day. So we were like, okay, we'll go to a predominantly white school, see how that goes. We faced a lot, <laughs> we faced a lot of adversity going to a prominent, predominantly white school. It was, it was crazy. It was like, you know, we had, re- there was some, what we call rebellions where they stopped busing us. Um, you know, we had um, situations where people were calling us out of our names, you know, racial slurs. We literally had a space where all the kids that came from our city, we, we would have a section that we would just stay in at, at, at school, you know, separated from everybody else because I guess everybody else thought that because they came from better that, you know, they were just better. And that's how we felt. You know, that is fascinating because you come from Pompano in this area, you had the opportunity to pick your school and you don't want to talk about the era, but you're very young still. We're talking about, this is not 1920, 1865. This was, you know, in the last can I say 30 years? <laughs> 30 years um, that you experienced all this, you know, the different dichotomies from where you lived and what you thought you wanted to do and then what you were exposed to going to this different high school. So how do you think all that defined you? I don't put it past the fact that it was, if it weren't for people who have taken a liking to me that I've ever would have done, I've been able to get out of that situation where I've been able to, you know, come out of the the, the woodwork to and, and become the person who I am today. I, I don't put it past it. Like I had a geometry teacher who literally, when I went off to college, she gave me a computer and she gave me a calculator. I had a guidance counselor who basically told me to go to college applied for me to the CARE program, which is, it was the Center for Academic Retention and Enrichment program at Florida State University. It was for first time generation college students. Had she not done that, I would not have ever gone. Had she not believed in me, I would not have ever gone. I love my mom, but she she quit school at when she was in eighth grade. So she didn't, she never really learned to read or write. And since I was six years old, I had always been like the document signer for everything in the household. Like anybody need a field trip, I would sign her signature. And then, you know, that would be that, you know, everybody would come to me for the paperwork in order to sign and, and put it off. And so, you know, she, she's always believed in me, you know, she's always, I think I grew up fast because of that, because I had to really take on the roles that she could not take on because of, you know, the, the issues that, you know, people, a lot of people in that generation, they had to like, leave school early and, you know, take care of their homes, their families. And people don't know that. She left school early in order to pick cottons and strawberries in the fields because right outside in Pompano, that whole thing used to be a field when she was growing up. 
you know, so mm. people don't understand that. And they see all they see now is buildings and stuff like that or jail houses. But that was all fields with cottons and strawberries that they had to pick. Right. You know? My mom yeah. wanted something, even though I'm not from this area. You know, grandma was like, uh, you're going to come down to my Emma, <laughs> Miami, my Emma. And, you know, they, my mom had to pick up. They had to pick in the fields or whatever yeah. to make money, period. <laughs> yep, that's what it is, my Emma. <laughs> that's that's what it was. It's, it's just a, a whole collage of things. And including college, I never would have got through college had it not been for friends. Like I had some amazing friends because I got pregnant in college. And that was a whole nother thing where I was about to give up. And everybody was telling me, well, she ain't going to be able to do it now because she's having a baby. Nobody can do it because she's having a baby or whatever. And I never thought I would have been the person to have a baby in school. You know, we've always learned about it. You know, everybody's always throwing, trying to throw condoms at you and stuff like that. And, you know, I remember even finding out the nurse at the school, she was, she was so mad at me. She was like, how dare you get pregnant at school? I was just like, okay, mom. Like what? Like it was crazy. She just went off on me as if she was literally a part of my family or something like that. They were very mad. And I don't know if it was because they they didn't want like certain ratings or something like that. Like they might have to disclose like how many people are pregnant at school. They probably had to disclose that and they probably didn't really want to because of ratings. You know, Florida State was in like the, the, the top of the, you know, the barrel for Florida colleges and universities. So mm -hmm. I guess that was, that played a part, I guess. I'm not sure, but you know, that's just my thought process. But I literally had the best friends, y'all. Like we literally split up the, my classes and their classes so that if, when I had class, they'd watch the baby. And then of course, you know, I'd be having, I'd be able to watch the baby when they're in class and stuff like that. It was just, it was like, Hey, you know, we're going to have this baby on a Friday school start Monday. You know, we got to get this done. <laughs> that's how oh. it was so those were friends that helped you watch your child or yep. just like your community and all that that's interesting yeah. Yeah. cool yeah we all raised the kid <laughs> we all well, it takes a village right all right so what made you want to get involved with the league of women voters i know um, you're a lawyer and you're 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 very you're very heavily involved and all that <laughs> but what made you want to join this group in particular it was a funny situation because I was the president of the TJ Red Bar Association. And at the time we were working on a uh, amended four presentation and we invited the league because I was also the community post chair um, of the TJ Red Bar Association, but we had asked the league to get involved in putting together some form where we would invite Desmond Mead and Neil to come down and speak about Amendment 4 and get petitions signed. So we were all out there on the streets, you know, tracking people down, running people down, literally running after people trying to get them to sign petitions to, to make sure mm -hmm. that we can get Amendment 4 on the ballot. And um, Katie's Ed, which was a past, a past president of the league, you know, I ran into her and she was just like, you should join the league. And she had sent me some e emails and then... I was just like telling her, listen, I'm too, I'm a little bit busy right now. Like I have a lot of stuff going on. I would love to join. And then actually a couple of years had passed and I, you know, had everything had, you know, I didn't have a full plate as much. I still had a plate. <laughs> 
still had that plate, but we, it wasn't as full. So I said I would join because I really did like the work that I saw and, you know, the ethic that they put into everything that was going on with that whole petition signing and stuff like that. Like they were just very nice to each other. I worked with them, the, the Urban League, we all were together. So it was just an amazing time that we had that made me feel like this is something that I should do. But it wasn't even, to mm-hmm. me, it wasn't even politics at that time. Because mm-hmm. from what I knew about the league, and I'm probably going to just like, you know, jump around on, on this question. But to me, what I had originally thought That's was at, about the league, it was like, okay, they're nonpartisan. So what can we really do? But I saw that they can do more, a lot more. There was a lot more that they could give to the community as opposed to, um, okay, they can't speak on this. They can't do that. It's kind of like the way I found them because I think when I was looking for groups, like, you know, you have so many different groups, but to me, it seemed like they weren't particular for one thing. It was just kind of a more general, you know, democracy and all that. So I could, so it's something that I could get behind, you know, without trying to, pick up party or something right <laughs> I totally get what you mean yep. yeah so you were discussing that when you first got in contact with the league you were doing work with amendment four as the president of the TJ Reddick Bar Association at the time what other committees have you are you a part of and what other projects have you done since you have joined the league oh, okay so right now I'm the league's community justice uh, co-chair one of the co-chairs is myself and Jennifer Perlman So we've been putting together events like our last event um, talked about the dignity of women in uh, incarceration. So making sure that women who are incarcerated have access to certain things, pads, toothbrush, toothpaste, soap, just like the the necessary things that you would think that they would be provided once they're in prison to not have them have babies in the jail. So, you know, we've had a discussion on that. Um, and the conversation before that, we talked about, um, juveniles and whether or not we should have, uh, law enforcement in schools. So that was a (laughs) pretty engaging discussion. Um, and you know, league is just not the only thing that I do. I'm also still the community post chair of the TJ Reddit Bar Association. I'm the social action chair of um, Delta Upsilon Sigma chapter of Sigma Gamma Rho Sorority Incorporated. I volunteer for Kapow, which is Kids in the Power of Work, um, which means that I go out and I volunteer at schools and I teach kids on a certain lesson. So we, we learn about habits and we learn about the power of work. Like had somebody come to me and talk to me when I was in school at a young age and tell me that I could be a lawyer and I could believe them. So, you know, stuff like that, you know, it, it's, it's definitely something that, you know, really pulls on my heartstrings that I think that, you know, a lot of us should be out there doing because there are kids that, you know, may see these things on TV, but once they see you in person and they see that you've done it, um, they might get the guts to go ahead and pull it off themselves. So I love that program. I'm definitely trying to stay involved in as many things as I can do. And I'm also like the Apollo Middle School mock trial coach so I teach them on the art of trial <laughs> and then they go and compete <laughs> oh that's wonderful that's so yeah. with the juvenile justice from you know from the children you know mm-hmm. all the way to educating community members yeah and other activists on the issues that are pertinent today 
I believe they passed something about the dignity with incarcerated women that they're supposed they to provide them with yep. basic needs that those of us that have monthly cycles need to, you know, we need <laughs> supplies. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, the discussion that we had was mainly focusing on a Tammy Jackson too. Um, you know, may she rest in peace. She gave birth, live birth in the jail. And, you know, the only way that, the only reason that we found out about it is because one of the inmates actually heard it, heard her screaming and, you know, basically calling for help and no one came to help her. And then she had a baby in jail. Like that is, you know, that's some sort of PTSD that, you know, you never come from. And I, I don't think that she fully healed from, you know, mentally, physically, from everything that went on. And then now she's not here with us anymore. During that conversation, I believe, didn't you have her, did you have her attorney there or? Yes. Yeah. So, and her attorney spoke very eloquently about the impact it had on her. And it's so very important that these discussions be had. So thank you for bringing that for the community. I'm happy that I'm able to pull these things off because and we also had a, for the Teeter Red Bar Association, and I put on a Know Your Rights forum, um, and we had Attorney Crump come, you know, he was basically our main speaker. He couldn't stay the entire time, but we had a panel of, uh, you know, people from the community, like we had our first Black uh, female undersheriff, uh, Nicole Anderson, she came out. We had the first Black male state attorney in the state of Florida, Harold Pryor, we had a couple of other officers who are uh, also doctors from the Fort Lauderdale Police Department, Dr. Salters, and it was an amazing event because people, when, when we talk about law and we talk about things that actually happen in the city, like we, we're all seeing these from the outside looking in. We're watching TV and we're seeing these things go on, but in fact, these are people that have to deal with these things on an everyday basis. You know, I have to deal with it on an everyday basis too. I get to you know, see the reports. It's never a dull moment for me. I can tell you that people really don't know their rights. They don't know what they should and should not do. Um, civil rights attorney on there, Casey Early, who normally her cards that she passes out are cards like do's and don'ts, like what we call, she calls it a trap. And so she's, she hands out the cards and it tells you what to do when you ha have an interaction with a police officer. Because there's inherent fear of people of color, we we have to follow these things in order to be alive, you know, to tell the story. Well, thanks for doing all that you do, you know. Appreciate Thank y'all for doing what y'all do. This is amazing. Like, I, I, this is amazing concept. Like, when I was like, oh, it's not, they're doing a podcast. This is awesome. This is a very basic question. If someone were to come up to you, I'm sure you meet people all the time that ask you. So why do you think it's important to vote? That's easy. Your vote is your voice. I've gone out into the community and, and I could tell you like this last election really 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 broke my heart I've seen things that go on in elections that in, in your second mind you almost already already know that these types of things go on but then again mm -hmm. to see it and and be out there and really really try and get someone to get a vote just for you and it's just like oh well you know I'm like the only person out here that's asking for a vote that's literally walking up to people and asking them and telling them why I deserve their vote like and mm -hmm. I was just like I understand okay we're you know in a pandemic but you know certain things need to be done and we don't need to just go ahead and throw things out you know by the wayside just because of the pandemic and people were scared you know to come out of their houses people were scared 
for, you know, several reasons and you can respect that. But I, I understand why people could say I, I won't vote. People don't feel as if their votes are being heard. Like right now in the election, there's another election that's coming on with the late Alcee Hastings. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you, we have several people who were voted for in the past election, which was just August of last year, who are now leaving their seats, <laughs> leaving them unrepresented just to run yeah. for a seat. And, and listen, goals are important, but the reason that you, you are running for these seats should always be for the people. It shouldn't yeah. be just to advance your goals, your personal goals. That's not what politics should be for me. That's not what politics should be about. It not, it's not just about me and what I want to achieve. You know, it's really about the bigger picture, which are the people. And I also do not believe that people should just keep seats just to keep seats then we have situations like this. We, we have people that will have seats for 20, 30 years and we don't need that. We really need to basically be able to take someone, you know, younger person and say, hey, you know, I'm going to train you. You see what I'm doing? You can do this too. And then we don't need you up there doing basically nothing. We understand you've had a seat for 20 years. You don't want to let it go, but we suffer. There's a bigger picture and it's not just to be selfish is not just for ourselves. It's literally for the people and people forget that. And so I think that the remnants of what we see from situations like this and totality of the circumstances is we, it leaves behind people that just don't care. They don't care about politics. They don't care about voting for the president or anything local. And we know it's important. You know, yeah. we, we know how important it is, but, and I, I have a nephew who literally was telling me like, I'm not going to vote. I vote for, I vote for you, but that's it, you know, because only because you, I know you, you know, and I know that you're doing it for the right reasons and stuff like that, but they don't believe yeah. that people are doing it for the right reasons. They don't see that they're, you know, reaping the benefits of voting and, you know, it, it becomes <laughs> Like even like the presidential elections, it is all the focus is on, whoa, this person, oh, that person, and oh, what this person said, and oh, what that person said. And then the 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 issues at hand, you know, fall by the wayside. And so some people see that and they get disgusted with the system. They get disgusted with politics. They get disgusted with people who are running. They don't believe that they're telling the truth. And then we <laughs> we're back at square one. So, you know, I, but voting to me is, is definitely important. It's what, the way that we're going to get our voices across. I believe that in a g- democracy that uh, we, we should have a say-so in, as to, you know, who we're electing. I don't think that that's always true because like, just like with the past election that I, that I went through, there were several mm-hmm. cheat sheets out there and people don't necessarily understand how that hurts the community. And, you know, some people may say, oh, I need this cheat sheet because I don't know everybody. But that's when we need to research people too. Because there was plenty of times I went out there and they were like, oh, how come you're not on this list? And I'm like, I can't afford to pay to get on this list. You know, I can't, I couldn't afford it. I couldn't afford to be on a list that would be sent to thousands upon thousands of people to pick me. And so let that go around in your mind a a little bit. The people that don't have the money, are not able to garner the votes because they can't pay to get on, you know, things that would help them succeed. And that's why, you know, a nonpartisan group like the league is so important. 
right? Because mm-hmm. they provide education for everyone. That educational aspect itself is wonderful. <laughs> it's oh, wonderful. yeah. Yeah, it's important. Yeah. It's, it's very important to educate everyone. As a matter of fact, when I go to vote, I do my own research, right? And the league had this nifty little thing. It was all, you know, for the entire world one. You click yeah, go down and just click, click, click on people and you see their yeah. platform. And, and at that time, I, I think it's probably taken down by now, but you could click on the forums and listen yeah. to the candidate speak, right? With that being said, I was wondering with all the work that you do with the league, what has been one of your biggest challenges with your work with the league? I would say the most challenging thing is it's not anything to do actually with the league and what they've done. But the outside thought process is, is that it's democratic. And so, you know, we would have tons of people who would come to us and just be like, you know, oh, you know, can I get some information about this, this and that and the third? And then they'll be like, oh, wait, you're democratic. We don't want this information. I'm like, no, 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 no. We're nonpartisan, you know, and, you know, I go into talking about, you know, the founding and how, how we help and what we do. And some people still walk away because the, mm. the, the perception is that it is democratic. And I don't know how we get around that. There's nothing that the league has done to me that has made me believe that it's non, like not nonpartisan, a double negative. <laughs> that is not yeah. nonpartisan. There's nothing. And so it was just literally, they were like, oh, help. And then they saw what the name was and they would be like, no, we're not dealing with you. I think that's very interesting because it's my understanding that, um, you know, that there's, and I think it's interesting around the state of Florida, like there are some leagues around the state that are considered to be Republican. I've heard that. And so it's very interesting to me that I guess it's just whatever the people in that area think, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because really and truly it is a nonpartisan organization. It doesn't matter if you are a libertarian, a Democrat, a Republican, NPA, if the league is having a forum and you're running for that office, all candidates are invited. Yep. And it was literally like registering people to vote. It was like, we don't care what you're registering as, you know, we just want to help you. We just want to make sure you do it. The league's bottom line is don't care how you vote. Just please vote. Yeah. (laughs) Please vote. Please vote. Please participate in the system. So that is very interesting. I didn't, I didn't know that. I was like, you know, I didn't know that it, the league here in Broad was thought that way. Ruby, so, so what's one myth about politics or public policy that you'd want everyone to know about? Hmm. I don't believe that there is one. To be honest, I think politics is shady. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. Are there times where we get across the ideals and to pass the bills and do what is necessary for the sake of people. Yes, I think there are times that that happens. And I don't know, it could be just mainstream media that has put that that black mark on politics. And so, I mean, I can't really call it a myth because now we get to see it with our own eyes. Remember how they were talking about how, hey, we didn't used to have cameras. We, so we didn't really get to see how they used to beat people in the streets and stuff like that. Now we get to record them. We need we, we get to see gardeners in the world being brutally murdered in the streets where we didn't necessarily have that so I think it's been going on mm-hmm. for some time and and the higher ups 
they may believe that them not being transparent, I want to say, I want to say it's transparency, them not being transparent really, really is to, to save us in some way, but mm-hmm. it's not the way that it's coming across. Right. That's interesting. Underestimating people's intelligence, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess so. So which person would you say has had the most impact on your political views? Oh, I, I have to say Martin Luther King. I've studied Selma. Even when Common and John Legend came up with the glory song, like I, I, I just really died over it and came back alive and, you know, became a phoenix and, you know, was born again because of that story. And that storyline, I, I couldn't imagine myself being there in the presence of Martin Luther King. You know, I ain't have nobody. I think this is my old life now, okay? Because remember, I was like, I ain't, I ain't had no family members. Maybe I was that family member that was marching with mm-hmm. Dr. Martin Luther King. And I, I, I think that that was, that had to be the moment for me. I'd never been in a situation where I literally thought that I would be marching for the rights of people no matter what it was. We, we've done several marches here <laughs> for Black Lives Matters. And it's, it's an exhilarating experience. A, a part of you feels like, oh, we can get in trouble. And then a part of you is like, this is, I, this is right. This is, we're doing this because it is right. It is right. And people need to understand this, you know, and when are they going to get it through their big noggins that what they're doing is wrong? So it's, it's just a mixture of feelings that is so adventurous and to me. This actually was something for me that was like, it, it gets me up out of, you know, the bed in the morning that, I, you know, that, that these things are happening and that I can participate. And I feel like I was alive back then. So it would it have to be him. Martin nice. has a way with people. Absolutely. Very charismatic. <laughs> Very charismatic. Yeah brilliant and charismatic and a real person of action and belief yeah it's the belief for me i don't i don't even think back then people may have marched but i don't know that they knew the extent of being in 2021 of how things would be we got one of the first convictions of a a white cop murdering a black man i don't know if you would have thought that stuff like that would still be happening though you know what i mean because even when Martin Luther King marched and, you know, cops were killing Black people then too. But you'd think that something like that would just stop happening after how many decades and stuff. But, you know. No, I I believe down to the moment he was killed that it would happen. You know, like I just, he had bodyguards and stuff like that. I I believe that he knew that it would still be happening. I don't know how long Mm. he thought that it would still be happening. But then they just covered it up for a while until then, you know, we got these cell phones or cameras. Social media is profound. So you want to do something, somebody posted on social media, your, your cover is blown now. I don't imagine that he thought it was going to be technology that was going to make a break, you know, <laughs> the civil rights movement and what it be, has become. I don't think that they foresaw that. I thought that he probably really believed that um, people in power, presidents and stuff like that would do something about it. And in which I can tell you, I don't think neither of them did. So what is one political policy or idea where you had a personal opinion, but you changed your mind about it? I would have to say when it comes to the war on drugs, <laughs> hmm. I, I am still in a, in a funk 
about the war on drugs. As many people that assisted in making it happen, the fact of the matter is, is that we're still recovering. We have never fully recovered from something like that. And at, at first, I did not completely understand it. So when it was first started happening, you really want to say that, okay, they're just putting bad people away and drugs in the community because it's rampant in the hood. Mm-hmm. Drugs are rampant in the hood and then kids get a hold of it and then it, it, it creates the situation where kids are using it in order to be able to fend for their families. So at first, you know, we didn't take it in a in the light that I do today. Today, I'm like, how could this be? How could how dare you do something like this? And it's more in depth, I know, than I will ever understand, because I don't see how people become super predators when we're just trying to live. It was a political thing and people may not say, oh, that's criminal justice. Criminal justice falls right in line with politics. And the yeah. way that they were able to do it was because of politics. Yeah, because I was listening to another podcast where they were talking about that whole era and mm-hmm. how a lot of even the policies that they implemented, like a lot of the civil rights people at that time, even they were for it. Yeah. Because they thought that, like for instance, something like mandatory minimums, They figured that would equalize everything, right? That, you know, white people would get the same sentences as black people, but obviously it didn't exactly turn out that way. It just really, and, and, you know, I know the law, I live it, you know, so I know we have the ability to waive minimum mandatories and Mm -hmm. who do they decide to waive them for? Mm. And we know it wasn't for us. Mm. So it was, that was a real turning point for me as well. I felt like I was ignorant in the beginning, because I I mm-hmm. did not know in its entirety what was going on. I was mm-hmm. ignorant, you know, we, we just fell into the trap. And then mm-hmm. now it's like, I, I don't understand how this could happen. I'm much older than you, Ruby. So I got to see the crack epidemic just utterly devastate mm-hmm. where I'm from. And it's very interesting to see how there's another whole drug thing coming through this country and how it's being treated so differently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's a whole, that could be a whole podcast by itself, but it has been an absolutely eye-opening. I was like, oh, okay. You know, yeah. as a child growing up and seeing like what was going on in my community. And right. then I'm like, oh, now as an adult. Yeah. I'm like, oh, oh, okay. (laughs) Your life is very interesting, um, Ruby, because it's amazing the difference that opportunity makes. You're one of 15 siblings, but you're the one that stood out to the teachers. You know, you're the one that they were like, she has things to do. We need to make sure she gets there to doing them, right? And then, you know, you are blessed to have friends around you to support you with your baby. Plenty of young women get pregnant in college and they did not have the support. So it is amazing what opportunity does. You spoke about just one street over, right? You would have been in another school district. Not even one street over. It's across the street. So my house, the house right across from us is in a different, um, you know, they messed up the gerrymandering lines. (laughs) That's, That's what they fun. did. 
They didn't. They messed up. Now we got to go to your school. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing how even stuff like just chance affects things yeah. as well. So, so this podcast is called Democracy in Action. What does that phrase mean to you, Ruby? To me, I think it's just socially having uh, the community be able to take part in um, the process. And when I say the process, electing its leaders, um, having a say so in what happens in the community and being able to be involved and them being able to act upon it. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So thanks for being on the podcast, Ruby. It was really awesome to have you. Thanks for listening to the Democracy in Action podcast. For more information about the League of Women Voters of Broward County, you can visit our website at lwbroward.org.